Gives to Mahaney on the right side. Hayden holds the ball high, left off the screen. Dribbles left wing, off the bounce, takes a three, and bakes in! Oh my goodness! Started by Hickman, seven to shoot. Mahaney, top of the key, downstairs to Saxon for the lay-in! The no-look dish for Aiden Mahaney! The Gales have defeated Gonzaga in overtime, 78 to 70. A very happy Monday to everybody, especially those it, amongst the St. Mary's faithful. It was a great weekend for the Gales, not so great for the Zags. Welcome to the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk a lot about the St. Mary's-Gonzaga matchup, which has warmed my heart to no other. It was a party in Moraga beforehand. It was a party in the building during, and it was a party in Moraga afterward, St. Mary's picks up a huge, huge win against the Zags, are now in complete control of their own destiny for the w- a WCC regular season title. We're going to get into all of that. We're also going to get into what happened in the, around the rest of the league. Uh, as much as like I was tweeting about how like there was only one game on Saturday, there was a lot of action this week, and there's a, been a lot of a lot of movement, a lot of like actually kind of like not regressing to the mean, but everybody is now incredibly jumbled, maybe even more so than they were just a few, uh, a few days ago, a week ago. Um, and we'll get into that. We're also going to have uh, uh, St. Mary's play-by-play guy, Alex Jensen stop by. He's going to kind of go over, over that game against the Zags, review that one and get, get it from his perspective about what we saw on Saturday and what it really means kind of going down the road as we look at not only the rest of WCC play, but also the WCC tournament, which is now less than a month away, but then also what this could mean for seeding in the NCAA tournament, not just for St. Mary's, but maybe also for the Zags. This is, it's going to be fascinating just to see how this all breaks down over the next few weeks. There's only three weeks left of WCC play. So this is, an exciting time to actually see how this is all going to break down and we'll we'll start to dive into all that. But of course, we're going to start and talk a lot about Gonzaga St. Mary's on Saturday night. And we're going to start with some initial reactions that I had. And obviously I was incredibly excited that St. Mary's won in the fashion that they won. And I think we there were a number of things. I think we saw Gonzaga play very well out the gate. Uh, this was a Gonzaga team that really was crisp on the offensive end and then really played well defensively in that first half. They got up as many, I think it was by like 11 or 12 on St. Mary's. Uh, they led by eight at the half. And, and really it seemed that Gonzaga controlled the pace. Every time that St. Mary's looked like they might make a run, Gonzaga would have a defensive stop. Drew Timmy was great in that first half. I believe he had four, he had fourteen. So we saw, we saw a lot of good things from Gonzaga in that first half. They really limited St. Mary's on the offensive end, and also got St. Mary's in a lot of foul trouble. Now I know that there was also like I was I was pretty I was fairly vocal about the officiating as as many other St. Mary's people, as were Zag fans. Like there, no one was happy with the officiating in this, in this game from either side. So, I mean, this is just something that we know that 
tends to happen. We've seen this happen a number of times um, in every sport, like not just the WCC, not in, not just in college basketball, but officiating did make an impact on this game. St. Mary's had four of their starters with two fouls at the half. Uh, and this, it really impacted. I mean, when you, when you're taking Logan Johnson, Aiden Mahaney, Mitchell Saxon out because of foul trouble, it really is going to impact how this team is going to function, especially considering you have a lot of youth on that bench for St. Mary's. And, and on the flips and on the flip side, I think one of the things I saw like from Gonzaga, like as we started, going through that first half was you were getting some pretty good, pretty nice minutes out of Malachi Smith. You got a pretty um, good early performance from Julian Strother in that first half as well. It seemed that it, things were going the Zags way, even though if you took a look up at the scoreboard, it, it was an eight point game and they had scored 32 in the half, which really kind of tells me it's like, even though that was happening, this was still being played a little bit more at a St. Mary's pace. Even though I do think that Gonzaga's defense did a fairly good job of speed, trying to speed St. Mary's up from time to time in that half. But the way I looked at going in that game, going into the half was that everything that could have gone wrong for St. Mary's did go wrong for St. Mary's. They were in early foul trouble all across the board. Their open shots were not going down. They were really struggling with the Gonzaga defense and had no answer for Drew Timmy. There were this was just about as poorly as we've seen, not as as poorly as we've seen St. Mary's play all year long, but it was like it was a bit of a bit of kind of a gut punch to see that in the first half, especially in front of that crowd on the national stage and all that sort of stuff. But I felt actually fairly confident that, hey, being down eight is not is is achievable. Being down eight is something that they can overcome because of how they play defense and if they're and because they are so committed to playing their style and the way they do, and it's been successful obviously to this point that they were going to wear Gonzaga down at some point and the shots were going to start falling. And we got that little bit of a burst at the start of the second half. They got within three, but then Gonzaga pushed it back to eight. And then we, for a good chunk of the half, we had this back and forth, back and forth of going between six points, eight points, six points, eight points. And it really seemed like St. Mary's could not find that extra, they could not get the bucket to, to cut further into the lead. And then, and then, with about seven minutes left, you lose Logan Johnson after he hits a re a really clutch three. Like he, he did not have the greatest of nights. He did not have a great shooting night there in that first half. Again, like he was in foul trouble most of the night. Eventually fouled out, and that was again another gut punch. And it seemed that Gonzaga was going to weather the storm again. And then it was Mahaney time. Then it became Aiden Mahania, as I have now seen uh, tweeted out. This kid has, every time I think that we've seen something so impressive out of a freshman, so composed out of a freshman, so poised out of someone who's still in their first full year at the college level, he does something else to 
to just wow you and to be even that much more impressed by what he's capable of doing. He did not have a great shooting night. He was one for eight from three on, on, on the night, but he started attacking the basket. He's found ways to get around a number of Gonzaga defenders. He found ways to get around Anton Watson. He found ways to get around uh, Malachi Smith. He found ways to get around Nolan Hickman. He took over that game in the last four minutes. And I think it was like he scored 12 straight points. He had all, he had 16 of his 18 in a five minute stretch between uh, the end of regulation and then overtime. He, he took one of the best teams in the country and just tore them apart at the guard position. Like he attacked the basket and some of the shots were just incredible shots. This is not to say that like, like Anton Watson, like especially like the couple of possessions he where he was stuck with him on the on the top of the key, I thought those were defended really well. And this was just Mahaney just with better offense than your defense. Like this this kid is the type of kid, this is the type of player that is going to this get this is the that guy that wins you tournament games. We always talk like ter, for the tournament, it's always about Having that having that excellent guard play, that's what really wins in the tournament. Yes, you need the defense. Yes, you need solid um, play on the front court. But the make or break in the tournament is always the guards. And and Aiden Mahaney, in three straight games, really, like think about back to BYU a week ago or two weeks ago now with the, the game winner there. He comes back here, hits the clutch, much-needed three against USF to put that one out of reach. And then he takes over a game against the Zags. First time he's ever played against Gonzaga. This is, this has just been, it was an incredible game, an incredible atmosphere. Just thinking about the way that, and he, and how he dominated. And, and I'm trying to take us, I'm trying to take a step back and think of this because like Gonzaga, Gonzaga really had no shot in that overtime period. It really seemed like what happened in the regular, what happened there in uh, at the end of regulation, just carried over, and and Gonzaga really could not recover well enough. And yes, you can definitely point to where where was Hunter Salas in those kind of waning minutes? Couldn't he have been the guy to to pick up on Mahaney? Maybe, maybe he would he would have been that guy, but. But that didn't happen, and and right now St. Mary's now has a two-game lead on Gonzaga for the WCC title. They are in the driver's seat. They will have they have five conference games before they see Gonzaga again. So when they rematch against uh, the Zags in Spokane, the conference title may already be done. It could already be wrapped by then. But of course, we'll get we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, in in the pod, just, it was just an incredible night. Like I, it's it's hard for me to kind of like to underestimate just the vibe that was in the building, the expectation. I think that was the other thing. The expectation was different from a year ago. Now this same Mary's has beaten Gonzaga two straight times in that building, and each of them felt different last year, obviously upsetting the number one team in the country. That was something that wasn't really expected, especially considering this was 
Chad Holmgren, Andrew Nebhard with Timmy and Strother. Like this was that Gonzaga team was a juggernaut a year ago, and Samers was able to knock them off. That was a true upset. This one, they obviously went in as the favorite. St. Mary's was supposed to win this game. They were supposed to go in and handle their business. And they did. They, it took them a while to kind of get going and everything else. But this, this says so much about the grit and the toughness of this team. Last year, the, the motto was gritty, not pretty. I mean, to an extent, that's, a, that's always kind of be their, the, the description of this team. Like they, they, they are a gritty team. They don't do it the most in the most pretty of ways but it is effective and they get wins against incredibly talented teams. And that's what we saw on Saturday. Um, so again, we'll get into the, the ramifications of what that means in a little bit. So I'm going to transition here and I want to talk about the middle of the conference because I feel like this is where we're going to start to see, at least a week ago, I thought we were going to start to see some separation between LMU or like we're going to start to see some jockeying of clearly a team is going to be third or fourth or like someone's going to dip further down down and be clearly the ninth or eighth team uh that hasn't happened in fact it's probably it's it's almost no different from what it was a week ago and it's and now with six games to go it's even tighter LMU dropped two games, and yes, they had a big blow of that. Big reason I think that LMU struggled this week was they were without um, Rick Asanza. Like the fact that you don't have your center, like it was, it's very reminiscent almost of when USF last year would play without Yawan Masalski. Like he met, not to say that uh, Asanza has had the the season that Masalski had a year ago, but just his impact on the defensive end and the way he changes shots and everything else, I think has changed a bit for LMU and they've dropped a couple BYU who was almost left for dead at one point. Again, we talked about how they've had five losses and the five losses were by 21 points. Well, they won a couple games this week. They are now at six and five. They're tied with LMU for third. They're starting to look maybe the most consistent of this entire bunch right here in the middle. You have three through nine that are separated by all of two games with three weeks to go. You starting, so you're starting to think about like, okay, like what's this going to look like? Because if you take a look at the standings right now, it will be LMU and BYU who will get the 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 three four seed buys. After that, you're looking at you're looking at it's going to be Pacific and Santa Clara who are the two 5 and 5 teams they're, they're at 5 and 6 and then Portland USF San Diego all, who are all at 4 and 7 will be playing in that opening round to get in to to the actual tournament along with Pepperdine who finally won a game in the most inexplicable way but Pepperdine finally won a game You want to know how Pepperdine won? Like I would suggest going back and watching the video of of that last couple of seconds of the game. Uh, it's it's wild. Uh, the some elbows were thrown right as the clock expired, right before the clock expired in double overtime. Uh, 
it ended up being there ended up being double technicals and so both Pepperdine and Portland had to shoot free throws. Pepper, Pe- Portland was going to win. They had a one point lead with like point, I think it's point six left on the clock or something like that. They throw they Pepperdine then ha- got the ball back because they because of the because of the elbow because of the flagrant. So like they they got an inbound and Javon Porter caught it caught it at its peak and tipped that thing in. It's it's a wild finish. I go. Go on YouTube, go on Twitter, find that clip. It's it's crazy. But Pepperdine is no longer a winless WCC team. They are they have gotten rid of the goose egg. They are off the schneid. Whatever you however you want to describe it, Pepperdine has a win. And but looking at this again, this bunching of teams, LMU is six and five. BYU is six and five. Pacific is five and five. Santa Clara five and five. Portland four and seven. USF four and seven. USD four and seven. No one feels like they're going to separate. And like to put this in perspective, we had we had four teams win ten or more conference games a year ago. No one else outside of good outside of St. Mary's, who already has ten, and likely Gonzaga, who has eight, is going to win ten. Just by the numbers, well, at least like I, I say that like I'm going on this realistic basis because both LMU and BYU, who have the five losses and have played the most games of that bunch, they've already played eleven. They both have to play St. Mary's and Gonzaga again, and I don't see that going well for either of them. Obviously, I could be very wrong, especially for BYU. BYU had a close call with both of them. Obviously, LMU beat Gonzaga um, the first time around. I I think Gonzaga is going to be much more prepared this uh, the next time around they see LMU. Of course, but that's going to be next week um, when they face each other down in LA. I I don't see another team winning ten games in in WCC play this year. I think we're going to see a nine win team be. They're in third place. I think we're going to see probably a, like looking at four and seven right now, we're going to see probably a couple of like six win, six win teams, maybe even a seven win team stuck in that play-in round. It's so, it's so crazy just like how stuck together all of these teams are. Uh, Again, like what time, we can look at Pacific Pacific again, like Pacific was supposed to finish in dead last and they are at five and five and starting to take a peek at their schedule. Like who's actually probably best suited to make a run and maybe put themselves in the best position to get additional, additional levels of the buy. And honestly, the two that actually maybe have the quote easiest schedule remaining is either Pacific or Portland. Both of them are done with Gonzaga, which is obviously a benefit for anyone. Both of them still have to play St. Mary's once, but outside of that Pacific, actually, here's the thing. It's like Pacific and Portland still have yet to play each other and they're going to play each other this week on Thursday. And then they will play each other in the finale um, of WCC play in a few weeks. Pacific also has San Diego, USF, LMU, Portland, has Santa Clara USF along with the Pacific St. Mary's and 
the two Pacific games in St. Mary's. So these two teams, I think, have the they have a greater opportunity to kind of like push through and actually get further up in the standings than maybe some of the others. Some of the others have have not only they have both St. Mary's and Gonzaga left. Like San Diego has that scenario. Uh, USF, who has been so inconsistent, still has to go to Spokane, which they will this week, and they still have to go to Provo. Santa Clara, they still have to go to Provo. They are done with both St. Mary's and um, and Gonzaga. But they've also kind of been struggling a little bit as of late, so we need to see Santa Clara start to pick it up a little bit as well. So again, like looking at all of this, like I feel like we're in for a really exciting next few weeks outside of just looking at what the top two are going to be doing. Like every, every one of these games is going to be critical for Vegas. And we can really start thinking about how this is all going to play out. Because again, like as, as the reminder for how the WCC tournament is structured, seven, the seven through 10 seeds will play in that opening, that opening play in round. And then they'll, and then the two winners of that then finally go into the actual tournament. Five and six get that first bye. They'll play the two winners from that that opening round, the play-in round. Three, four have the next level of buys, which are autos into the quarterfinals. And then the one and two have autos into the semifinals. They won't play till the Monday of the tournament, which is always a long, long uh, layoff, especially when you think about that, you, that, that means one and two seeds who will have last played a regular season game on and this year on February 25th won't play again until March 6th. It's a long, long layoff for these teams. Uh, and now Gonzaga did fill in fill in that gap. They they have a non-conference game. I believe it's on the Wednesday in between of that week against Chicago state. So they're getting at least like a tune up in the middle of, of this, of that long layoff. All right. So with that, we're going to transition back to talking about what the Gonzaga St. Mary's game means and how this is all going to play out. So again, St. Mary's is now two games up on Gonzaga in the standings. They are 10-0. Gonzaga is now 8-2. They do not play each other again until February 25th, the last day of the regular season. If Gonzaga win, if St. Mary's wins out between now and now and the game before they see Gonzaga again. They will already be the regular season champion. There will be nothing that Gonzaga can do. And that game then becomes icing on the cake for St. Mary's. They can try to go in and and play spoiler and really start to then it really becomes like a resume builder game. Like that's really what it comes down to because the checkbox of regular season champion will already be done. And that's just something that we're going to have to kind of keep our eye on and see how that all plays out. What it also means is that St. Mary's got its signature win. 
it does seem that a lot of one of the biggest complaints about St. Mary's when it came to tournament resume and where they were going to be seated, at least to this point, has been that, well, who have they played? Who have they beaten? A lot of everyone points to the fact that, yeah, okay, yeah, they beat San Diego State, but whatever. And then point to you lost to Washington, you lost to New Mexico, which really that's that's a Q2 game that should not be one of the games you point to. But then Colorado State, yes, admittingly, that is not a good look. So they were missing. The metrics all loved St. Mary's. They missed the the marquee win, the signature win. And that's what Saturday, Saturday satisfied. Saturday satisfied the marquee win. And now it's a matter of, for me, the way I, this plays out is that it also puts them in a in the driver's seat and in position to play closer to home for the tournament. The two closest locations being Denver, but then ideally, at least in my mind, ideally is Sacramento. It would be great if St. Mary's ended up playing in Sacramento. It would be the biggest opportunity for the largest number of St. Mary's alums and fans and students to actually attend. Portland was great last year as a location because it was a quick flight up. And I know a number of students actually hopped on a bus and drove up that the night before. Uh, so that, that would be a great opportunity. And the, the win on Saturday puts them in position to for the regular season title, which again, checkbox. And, but I think the final checkbox, the one that almost secures that, is also being the tournament champion. That's what I think secures it. And crazy thing is this may, this may sound crazy as you look at where St. Mary's currently is in some of the predictions. Five, six seeds is where, as of Sunday, is where a lot of people still had, had the gales. Again, I want to preface the fact that a lot of them haven't been updated since they played the Gonzaga game. So it's not like that adjustment has been made. It has not been made yet, at least at the time I'm recording this. If they beat with the win against Gonzaga on Saturday, and if they were to take one, at least one more against Gonzaga, and I think it has to be the tournament championship, then what you're looking at is potentially a three seed into the NCAA tournament. Again, like St. Mary's has still been a top 10 net team for the last month, month and a half. Like they, their metrics all say that that's where they should be. What they were missing is the resume to back it up. If they get up, they pick up another win against Gonzaga. I think that's going to satisfy that, especially if it comes in the form of regular season championship and tournament championship as the auto bid. For the Zags, this, this is unfamiliar territory for them. This is not a place that they're used to being. Being two back in the standings, in the WCC, to St. Mary's, has to be one of the weirdest feelings for this program, the fans, students, alums, everybody. Like this, this is, this, they are not used to being here, and they haven't been here in over a decade. And this is with maybe playing some of the best defense they've played all, all season long. And they did it for 35 minutes before Mahaney took over. 
and the offense looked really good in the first half. This was a game they should have had. This was a game that they had really won because they controlled the defensive pace most of the night. But they let it slip away. And we've seen that happen to Gonzaga already a couple of times this year. We've seen them with all their close calls, again, trying to come back against coming back against Santa Clara, coming back against USF, playing playing up in Provo. It was like so many close calls. They got caught by LMU. They did not play particularly well against Pacific. I think what we're looking at is, and we've known this for a while. This Gonzaga team is not last year's team. This Gonzaga team is a much more flawed team than we have seen in a very long time. They have not, they do not have the consistent number two that still remained the case on Saturday. Drew Timmy played a really good game, 23 points. He, he hit his free throws in clutch time. Like that was one of the things of like, he was not a terribly good free throw shooter, but he came through on Saturday and on that front. Eh. Hickman and Bolton combined for 11, which is obviously not a great look for, for, for that pair, especially when you have a freshman drop 18 on you. But in the grand scheme of things, as it may seem like the sky is falling after that game and you can point to this or that or whatever of what was wrong on Saturday, the grand scheme of things is that this does not impact Gonzaga all that much as far as their seeding or anything else. Like this is still the same team that we we expected to see. Remember, they were supposed to lose this game. There's not a huge surprise that comes out of this game outside of the fact that okay, they let one slip away. This is still a team that has a great resume already to their name. This is a team that's going to be probably a four or a five seed in the NCAA tournament. This is a team that honestly could probably do for playing with a little bit more of a chip on their shoulder or playing angry. And I feel like that's something that they played with more fire on Saturday than I think we've seen in a lot of other games. And obviously it's the rivalry game so that you kind of expect that to be there. But there should not be but there should not be this overreaction to what Gonzaga, what happened to Gonzaga on Saturday. This is the Gonzaga we've seen most of the year. This is, they just happen to play a team and maybe this is the biggest position that they're not used to. This St. Mary's team might, might, and I'm, and I will say it. It's like, they are better than Gonzaga right now. This, this St. Mary's team is a better team than Gonzaga. They are playing better right now. They have a go-to guy that they that can close out games for them on a consistent basis. They play way better defense, light years better defense than Gonzaga does. And this, and they've also been able to take care of business against the conference teams. Like, and again, like we've kind of pointed it out last week, just like how like much, how much more dominant St. Mary's had been against WCC teams than Gonzaga had been. And and Gonzaga had played much better over the, like the last couple, last week and a half or so, but the point remains the same. This Gonzaga team is just 
this isn't as talented of a team as it was a year ago. Again, like there were two NBA guys on the team a year ago. Those guys aren't here. And taking a look at someone like the mock drafts or everything else, like Strother and Timmy are late second rounders right now in some of the predictions I've seen. And we can, we'll definitely get into a deeper conversation probably in the off season about their, their draft status and what we might expect from either of them on that front. But this is not as dynamic of a team as we saw a year ago. And so there shouldn't be this expectation that they're going to be as dynamic as they were a year ago. Cause they're not, cause they just aren't. They, this is a team that has to do everything right. Do the little things right. I talked about it last week and said that the team who makes the fewest mistakes is probably going to win this game. St. Mary's St. Mary's won the turnover battle 11 to eight or eight to 11. And honestly, that's probably all it took. This was, this game was going to be close. It was a three and a half point spread when it opened. That's kind of what it felt like it was going to be, especially there at the end. And of course, yeah, it's like, you're going to open it up a little bit because of late free throws or whatnot. But this was a close game throughout. It never felt to me. It never felt like Gonzaga was going to run away. They, while they had opportunities to run away, they never did. And that was because of the St. Mary's defense, how poised they played. This is just not, this is not your, this is not a Gonzaga team that you should expect to actually be better than this St. Mary's team. Again, for Zag fans, that's incredibly unusual to hear, and it might be frustrating frustrating but right now that is the case this St. Mary's team is better than Gonzaga and we're going to take we're going to get some perspective on this we're going to dive into this like go behind the mic on like the experience of what it was in that building and get some perspective on on what this game does mean moving forward uh, so we'll go ahead and uh, bring in Alex Jensen and he'll he'll talk walk us through all of that. All right, Alex, how's it going? And how have you recovered after Saturday night? Ah, uh, man, what a, what a night, what a night Moraga on Saturday. Crowd was electric. Um, it's going well though, man. It was a nice relaxing day yesterday. Just kind of walking around the neighborhood uh, with my fiance. I mean, just a few showers, but it was nice to be outside after the rain on Saturday and everyone, anyone that went to that game knows uh, how hard it was raining when people were trying to come in. So, uh, but yeah, what a night. It was um, another chapter to this rivalry without a doubt. I was actually out there trying to close up canopies as the deluge started coming down. So I, yeah. I was glad to get in the building to dry off a bit. Um, but yeah, let's get into this game. And now that you've had kind of a day or so to process everything that happened, what, what, what's your impression of the game, the environment and what this really looks like going forward? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, the environment in Moraga was just electric. I mean, for the second straight year, it's, it's gotta be one of the best environments I've been in, in that gym. Um, you know, since I started doing this 11 years ago, uh, and the game was obviously an instant classic, you know, I mean, um, first half, man, like the Gales like dead in the water. I mean, it, it was just, it was shocking to look up at the scoreboard and say, oh my God, they're only down eight. 
You know, they're only down 11. It felt like they were down like 15 or, or 16. Um, but it's just a testament to the toughness of this team. You know, um, a lot of teams would have folded in situations like that. And down the stretch, losing, you know, Logan and Saxon in overtime. But, you know, the game was, I don't, you don't want to say in hand, but certainly, um, you know, close to that. But that, that's, I think that's what I'm going to remember the most. Uh, is just the toughness and the grit, the togetherness. They never broke. Um, you know, we've seen several teams break in that situation, and they kept guarding. Um, Gonzaga's offense in the first seven minutes looked ridiculous. I mean, just the ball movement, the shot yeah. making, the confidence. Um, you know, Randy Bennett said in a shoot around, they're going to play hard, like they always do, especially in in you know in in Moraga, and of course at home. But whenever the the Gales always get the Zags' best shot, and I think that's what makes this uh, rivalry so great is uh, both teams get each other's best shot. But you know, just the fact that how the how the game un, uh, unraveled, right? St. Mary's did not play well at all for 32 minutes, and they'd be the first ones to tell you that. At least on offense, on defense, they were actually pretty darn good. And it started with that stretch to end the first half. I think Gonzaga missed six out of seven mm-hmm. to be down. Like I said, to be down by only eight at halftime was just kind of a credit to how tough and how good defensively this team is to even have a chance to win that game though, before Aiden Mahaney started doing what he did is a testament to the leadership group, to the coaching staff, just the overall toughness and togetherness of the program. And, and I think about that first half because you're right. It's like, it's, it felt like everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong in that first half offensively. Just nothing seemed to go their way, but Gonzaga could never really pull away, completely, at least completely pull away in that first half, which that was the one thing, at least going in, I was like, all right, it's only, they're only down by eight at the half. This is actually probably a good position from them to be in based on everything that's already happened. Just kind of a, like, what was your impression when we got to halftime? Was that kind of like similar to what you were thinking or what was your, what was going through your head at half? Yeah, it was kind of twofold. You know, first of all, you know, gosh, this is the fifth, fifth straight half where the Gales have been, you know, below their standard offensively. Um, I think that was number one. Uh, and, you know, as we get to this point in, in league, Zach, as I'm sure, you know, especially in conference play, these teams know each other so well uh, that, Option A, option B, oftentimes option C is going to be kind of taken out. But I felt like the Gales were much like the USF game. I, I felt like St. Mary's was generating good shots. They were getting open looks. They just weren't falling. They weren't shooting the ball well, which is rare for this team who came to the game shooting, you know, 30, almost 38% from three. Uh, you know, they were shooting 46% from the floor. So it was just, you know, it was, it, that was my first thought was, man, this is the fifth straight. And it's easy to let your mind go there, right? When you're coming from uh, a partisan, uh, standpoint, sure. you know, but the other side of that was, man, this battle on that end of the floor, the the Zags offense against the Gales defense, which was kind of the marquee matchup that everyone was waiting to see coming into that game. You know, if you look at Ken Palm, Gonzaga, number five offensively, St. Mary's fourth defensively coming into the game, you know, outside of that 13 to two run early, you know, I mean, you kind of had to feel like it was the, the Gales defense that had the upper hand, especially over the last 12 minutes or so of that first half when Gonzaga, uh, you know, scored just 16 points. As I mentioned, you know, the top scoring offense in the country in Gonzaga in terms of, uh, of points per game. So I think it was twofold, you know, a, they really had to defend well to be in this game and they did. And B, you know, 
again, the fifth straight half where really they haven't been up to standard offensively. Um, but again, I mean, to have a chance to win that game after that, that half of basketball tells you something about how good this team is defensively and how tough they are. And I mean, we could always kind of like point of like Logan, Logan Johnson did not have a good first half at all. Like offensively, like it seemed like he was almost lost to an extent there, but then he came through like in the clutch, like he hit that huge three there in the second half before he eventually fouled out. And, and how, and I keep thinking about how that this team then went without their best on ball defender for the last seven minutes of the game and into overtime and they still somehow figured out a way to play good enough defense, well enough defense to to pull this out. And you kind of talk about like that leadership, but also kind of spoke to the depth because one of the things I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks, is, and you, maybe you can speak to this, is just uh, how good Augustus Marshallonis has been these last couple of weeks, this last month and a half. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with Goose. Um, you know, last five games coming into tonight, uh, or the other night, rather, I think it was, I have the number written down here, 13 assists, two turnovers. That's what they need him to do is hang on to the ball, not turn it over. And you're seeing his confidence grow in the offense. He's so strong with that left hand getting inside, uh, you know, going across the lane. And then you mentioned defensively. I mean, he's been so good defensively. He is a strong kid, man. He's 6'4", 195. You know, he's got tree trunks for legs. And that's really where I was impressed by Goose. Uh, was on the defensive end because he's been good offensively. And, and uh, you know, I think we know – Randy Bennett said after the Santa Clara game to Steve Croner in the San Francisco Chronicle, you know, we don't really have a weak spot defensively. We don't have any bad defenders. And for Augustus Marshallonis to play 24 minutes in that role and, you know, have be on the floor for the Gales' comeback, not slack defensively, score a couple of times, make his free throws. Yeah, you're right. I, again, Zach, I think you hit the nail on the head. It underscores – how much better he's gotten and, and, you know, how steady he's been over the last month and a half. And as a result, the Gales have really kind of taken a step to the next level. And you mentioned Logan Johnson and, you know, sure, 4-14. You mentioned he had the big three. But you look at Rasheer Bolton's line. I mean, Rasheer Bolton was one of four from the field and Logan was the primary defender. And, and Rasheer Bolton fouled out, you know, one of four from the line. He had two free throws, but four points, no assists. Um, and that's where you feel Logan again, you know, I mean, it's easy to look at the offensive end, uh, and look at his numbers offensively. And I heard that on a few podcasts leading up, you know, from the other side, leading, leading up to the game, talking about his numbers offensively and sure. Okay. You want to look at that? That's fine. But, uh, there's two sides to the court, man. And he is the heartbeat of this team. Kyle Bowen's the glue. I've said this on the broadcast before KB's the glue. Logan's the heartbeat. And he set the tone by, I mean, essentially wiping out one of the Zags' top three options in Rasheer Bolton. And you do that, you got a chance to win despite playing, despite as poor as the Gales played offensively in the first. So that's really where I felt Logan. The mm. three was huge, but I, I look at the box score after the game, Zach, that's where I feel him is looking at Rasheer Bolton's one of four night and just four points. Absolutely. I, and it does feel at times that, I mean, I think about it last because, like, Logan, if, if Chet Holmgren is not around, <laughs> Logan's probably the Vents player of the year a year ago. No question. And obviously he's going to be in that conversation this year, although Kyle has been amazing on that. And so it's going to be a Gale who ends up with defensive player of the year in some way. Uh, I, I agree. And and just to touch on on Kyle, I, I thought the Gales um, made a really good decision down the stretch because it's so hard to guard Drew Timmy for the, the entire game. And Mitchell Saxon did a pretty good job for the most part. 
but they switched KB onto Timmy for the last few minutes of, of uh, the second half in overtime, and he forced some really tough shots, and that made a big difference in the game. Yeah, I mean, Timmy had a really solid game otherwise. Like, he had the 23 points. Like, he was he was a problem there in the first half and good chunk of the second half. Um, but you're right. Like, that switch really did seem to just make it tougher on Timmy. And I think that's all he really can do with that guy is just try to make it as difficult as possible because he's going to get, get get his points. He's going to get his shots. No question. And, and you know, I think the, the where the Gales were effective is, you know, they didn't let player B necessarily – beat them right julian's we mentioned rasheer bolton and julian strother that those are the zags top three options strother was four you know 10 points on 11 shots he turned it over four times malachi smith had a nice game i was actually pretty impressed by malachi smith i mean i think he may have earned a, a bigger role in the in the zags rotation um but that's where you know that's where the gales won this game is you're right drew timmy's going to get his numbers he's an all-american for a reason but the zags had five assists I mean, they were just not able to get into what they do offensively for the most part. I mean, a team that averages 16 and a half assists per game, they had five. And that's where the Gales defense has been so good this year. I think they're number two in the country in assists to field goals made if you look at the Ken Palm page. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't let that Zags offense get rolling and let the ball get moving. I mean, the Zags, they really forced Gonzaga to beat them one-on-one. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Drew Timmy's going to get his numbers, but you don't allow the catch and shoot threes. You're going to see less of an impact from Julian Strother. You're going to see less of an impact from Rashir Bolton. Um, and two of those assists, by the way, came from Hunter Salas, uh, who, you know, that's not necessarily his game. So, um, again, I, I just it was it was the battle that we all expected. And in the end, it was it was the Gale defense that ended up with the upper hand. Yeah. And. And we could probably talk all day long about this, the way how good this defense has been all year long. And but the saving grace at the end, the one that's obviously made all the headlines is just it's Aiden Mahaney again. It seems like every night, every, especially the last few weeks, whether it be the the game winner against BYU, the the clutch three against USF, the last what ten points, twelve points of regulation for St. Mary's, this kid just seems He's unflappable. Like every time you try to think of a new way to describe him, it's it's getting hard and to run out of these superlatives of how good he's been. I was thinking about that yesterday, um, Zach. And you know, you can, like you said, you can throw out all these different adjectives to describe Aiden Mahaney. But the one I keep coming back to is the kid's just a winner. I mean, he's just a winner. Uh, he, you know, you mentioned the game-winning shot at BYU. He had the dagger three against USF after starting poorly. He was one for 10 through the first, uh, you know, 20, 34 minutes of that game. Last 626, I just saw this stat this morning. Our final 625 plus overtime, 16 points, three assists, eight of nine shooting. The, the difficulty of, um, you know, some of the shots he made down the stretch in regulation when he had the 10 straight points. Like, I mean, Mark Pugh said it after the game, right? We tried everything. Uh, we tried to switch everybody on him. And and, and a notable mission there is, is Hunter Salas, who didn't get a chance to guard Mahaney one-on-one. Yeah. Maybe that's something we see in Spokane, and that'll be interesting. But it was everything. You know, once he got that and one to go down to make it 51-46, to 46, tough finishes with the offhand. It just he, he was able to get to his spots. Runners with the right hand, you know, he would pick up, he picked up his dribble at one point on the lane line on the left side, use footwork to lean in, get around Malachi Smith and get to the rim. I mean, he's just a winner, man. I mean, he he he's at his best when his team needs it most. And it wasn't just the scoring either. And that's 
kind of the next step for his game to take, I think, is becoming that consistent playmaker. But, you know, the game time bucket with five seconds left, that was a dime to Mitchell Saxon across the mm. paint. And to Mitch's credit, and Mitch was a beast too. We haven't talked about Mitchell Saxon, but 15 no, yeah. points, 11 rebounds in that game. I mean, he was a monster. Uh, but for Mitch to make that catch, I mean, it was probably about knee high, a little bounce pass across the lane. And Anton Watson almost got them to deflect it. I mean, it was the perfect pass in that situation. When two Zags run at him, he's able to find Saxon across the lane. Then it was the assist to Dukas to start overtime. And then the no-look dime to Saxon uh, to make it at that point. must have wrote the wrong number on my score sheet. But um, the no-look dime to Saxon rolling down the lane from the right wing. So he yeah. did it in every single way. And that's the word I keep coming back to, Zach. You can go clutch. You can go moxie. They all apply. But the word that I keep coming back to is he is just a winner and he makes the plays when, when his team needs it the most. And now this team is in position. There are two games up on the Zags in, in the standings. They now can really, they really truly control their own destiny for a, the regular season title. It'd be their first regular season title that they would share that they would hold on their own since 2012 and we've seen some really good St. Mary's teams that have just not been able to kind of close that deal or been able to kind of get to this level. Obviously, Gonzaga in that time has also gone to a different level, and that's obviously been part of the challenge. But, like, kind of speak like what this is going to mean if St. Mary's is able to close the deal and get their first regular season title in over a decade. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a long way to go, right? Um, right. And this this week is going to be a tough one at LMU, at Portland. I can't remember, Zach, a week where, um, you know, and I know Gonzaga, I, I was talking to Tom Hudson about this after the game, uh, the voice of Gonzaga on, on their radio broadcast. And, um, you know, I mean, he was talking about how tough their travel schedule has been in, in the WCC. And uh, it's going to be that way anyway, because Spokane is so far removed or much more removed than the Bay Area. But I can't remember a, a, a travel schedule like this that the Gales have had in the last few years in the WCC, where it's going to be at LMU. And then get on the plane after that Thursday game uh, against a pretty tough team and then, you know, fly all the way to Portland to take on the Pilots. So that's going to be it, – it's going to be a tough week. So there's a, a long way to go. But you're right. They have the inside track, a two-game lead with six to play. And, I mean, you know, I, I think that, you know, for this program, first of all, I think what matters most is what they're going to do in March. Sure. Um, in the NCAA tournament. but. There's no doubt that a, a WCC regular season title uh, would um, make Randy Bennett pretty happy. I mean, it's just because Gonzaga – well, it's not just because, but mostly because of what Gonzaga has been and how they've controlled this league. And I think it's a validation for St. Mary's and, and how far they've come, um, you know, over the last two decades or so to, to – win a regular season title if they're able to do it 10 years after they did for the only time uh, since 2000 or 2001, whenever Pepperdine uh, won that, you know, won, won their last regular season title. But for St. Mary's to be the only team in the last 20 years to do that, um, you know, and if, they, if they're able to do it again, yeah, I think it would mean a lot to this program. Um, I, I think they want both. I think they want you know, the regular season and the tournament title. But, and, you know, they know that it's, it, they're going to be judged upon what they do in March in the mm -hmm. NCAA tournament. They would love to go to a Sweet 16, get to that second weekend. I think they're, I, I think they're capable. It's going to depend on the matchups. But, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt they would love a regular season title. There's a long way to go to get there. 
But to do that with a team like Gonzaga in your league, the resume that Gonzaga has, the talent that they have, um, if they're able to do that, that would say a lot about uh, where this program is mm-hmm. right now. Talk about the obviously success in March is, is the the ultimate goal. Like getting getting deeper into the tournament and everything else is really what this program this team is trying to do. And as far as like the seeding, because I've, it did feel like we've seen a lot of like. Uh, bracketologists put like St. Mary's at like a five or a six, which is kind of like around where they've been. And, and obviously the the net and all the metrics are com- say a completely different story where they've been a top 10 team and a lot of metrics for almost the last two months where like to, it almost seemed like that they were waiting for that signature win. How, what, how do you think, or how have you had conversations about what you think the Gonzaga win on Saturday changes the minds of some of those, some of those um, predictions? I think it validates it more than anything. Um, you know what I mean? I, I don't know, if may, you know, maybe for some people who are down on the Gales, but really St. Mary's has been kind of a darling, if you will, of people saying, you know, don't sleep on this team. And there have been some articles written over the last couple of weeks based on where the Gales are in Ken Palm and the net, and, and as you mentioned, the other metrics. But I think this win validates it. The Gales were favored going into this game. And I, mm-hmm. I was talking to Jack Ferris uh, last week on on uh, his podcast, um, Sack and Jack, you know, for the Gale, for this to really, the heat to be back on this rivalry and for St. Mary's to kind of validate what it's done um, and validate where they sit in the metrics, it's a game they kind of had to win because they were favored at home. They're ahead of the Zags in, in, um, in the WCC, as you mentioned. And you look at their resume, Zach, and you can poke holes in it. I mean, before... Saturday, St. Mary's had only played two quad one games. They only had one quad one win. They had two quad three losses. I'm sure you've been over all of this mm-hmm. uh, on this very show. But yeah. you, the, it's a resume that is certainly worthy of an at-large bid, but is still not all the way complete. So first of all, you get a quad one win at home. But if you lose the, if you, if the Gales lost that game again, it's just another hole you could poke in their resume one and two in quad one games. They lost to Gonzaga at home. They still have to go to the kennel. So, you know, if they lost that game in the kennel too, then you're going into March with, or at least the conference tournament with one quad one win. It's not a place that you really want to be. So um, I think more than anything, it kind of validates it. Um, it validates where the Gales have been in Ken Palm all year. Uh, and to me, for the Gales to stay there, it's, it's a game they had to win and they did. And um, so, you know, I think I just think it, it solidifies their resume to a certain extent, having that having a second quad one win that's going to stay a quad one win and having the opportunity, um, you know, with in all likelihood, knock on wood, because I think we all want to see two more of those games, two more matchups against the top 15 team in the net. Um, so I think Saturday validates them and I think they have an opportunity to climb higher. Um, so I, I think bracketology wise, you're probably going to see them still right there around the five, six range. Um, but now they have an opportunity to climb if they're able to, to, uh, to keep this up. If they lost that game on Saturday, I think you would see them drop down to seven, eight and those bracketology metric, or, you know, those bracketology boards and, and stay there until they had a chance to, uh, to potentially, you know, mm. uh, to, to take on Gonzaga in Spokane or for a third time. All right. Well, let's get out of here, Alex. Thanks for hopping on. Thanks for chatting and reviewing this game. It was it was a hell of a Saturday night, um, and we'll <laughs> we'll see how the rest of the, the regular season goes. Um, we'll be sure uh, to catch up and uh, uh, have a good road trip. 
Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, Zach. I love your show. And uh, yeah, we'll see you down the road. It's always great to talk to Alex and talk some St. Mary's basketball. I mean, <laughs> it was a hell of a Saturday. It was a great night. A uh, great game, a great addition to the rivalry between Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Uh, all, I believe it's only the second time this, in the Randy Bennett era and the first time since um, since 2012 that these two have gone to overtime with each other. It was an amazing finish, um, if, especially if you're just a pure sports fan. This was a hell of a game, and obviously this this game leaves a sour taste in the mouths of a lot of Zag fans, just the way it happened and the fact that it was two St. Mary's and all of that, but here we are. We have, we're moving on to the next week. We're starting to look forward a little bit. And for both these teams, it's, there's, you can't think about too much about this game because there's already challenges ahead to, to Alex's point. Uh, there's still a long way to go, even for St. Mary's, even though, yes, they're in the driver's seat right now. Do have LMU in LA on Thursday, which is, Going to be a tough matchup. Again, this is still the same team that knocked off Gonzaga in the kennel. So this is still a dangerous team. St. Mary's did play them pretty well the first time around. Uh, but this is also going to be the second time around through the league for Aiden Mahaney. Uh, I, for a lot of the veterans who kind of know what's what, like it's probably not going to be as difficult an adjustment. But I think we saw at least USF made some adjustments on how they played Mahaney early on and that and it was a little bit more of a challenge for him in that first half against the Dons last week. But he, this kid just makes adjustments and he figures figures a way out. But as we're taking a look at the rest of the league and where we start, starting to see some tough matchups this week, uh, we do have to highlight the fact that Gonzaga is going to see BYU on Saturday. Uh, this one's going to be up in Spokane, so this is going to be a much different game than the one we saw in Provo just a few weeks ago. Obviously, BYU lost that game by one. Strother hits the clutch three there toward the end. And this BYU team is, I think, playing really good basketball right now. They've, again, like they've lost some really close games, but they have been competitive in every last one of their games. They were able to get a couple of wins this week. They they took care of LMU. They were able to also then uh, take uh, take care of their Saturday matchup. So this is a team that real I think is in a better place than they were maybe a month and a half ago. This is a team that's playing a little bit a lot more connected than they were then. I think they finally have figured out some of their rotations. I mean, this is this is a team that I think is still pretty dangerous, even though like they're really now on the far outside of any postseason um, potential bid. They're not going to be – I. the likelihood of them being an NIT team is now very distant. I, I don't think they're – that's even a conversation. Like, they're probably – they're closer to CBI territory, and it'll be interesting to see if BYU takes the invite to do that. Um, and – but then looking around the rest of the league, yes, you have that matchup. Uh, for BYU, which is going to be key. Uh, USF USF is going to be at Gonzaga on Thursday. So, like, the Zags are getting USF and and BYU up at the kennel this week. And the Dons also played Gonzaga really well the last time they saw them. So this will 
again, it's going to be another really interesting matchup to see how this goes. The Dons did not play well this week. They dropped a couple of games after it looked like they were going to finally get back into it and get into a rhythm, and that did not happen. And they were unable to – they were they they pushed St. Mary's hard on Thursday. Like, they they had a chance for the upset in that one and just couldn't close it out. And then they see Santa Clara on Saturday, and that just did not go their way from the jump. For for BYU, like this is this is an opportunity. They're going to be on the road for both of these games, but they should get Thursday. It's again at Pepperdine. Pepperdine, while they did pick up their first win, they have just been dreadful on the defensive end all season long. Um, I expect BYU to be able to take advantage of that in a big way on Thursday. So again, the big matchup for this one is where you're looking at LMU at. LMU hosting St. Mary's. LMU is also going to be heading to Santa Clara. I think that's another big matchup, especially when we talk about this jockeying for the standings and everything else. And then uh, BYU at Gonzaga. This is going to be, that's again, I think that's the highlight of the week. I think that's the one you really have to focus on uh, to see like where, where the Zags are right now. It's like, are like, they're going to rebound and actually be able to uh, make up for the loss that they had on, on Saturday night. Or is we, are we going to see, more of what we've seen maybe over the last couple months with the defensive lapses. Again, I thought they played really well on Saturday. I thought Gonzaga's defense was on point for about 35 minutes. I thought their offense was very solid for a good chunk of that game, despite having to play a really stout and stellar St. Mary's defense. And I'll just leave you with this. Like, while it looks a little clearer at the top, there is plenty to still look at. Like this, it's going to be absolute chaos between now and the end of the regular season. The next three weeks are just going to be wild. They're going to be crazy. And I think this makes it all the more exciting for when we get to Vegas in just a, in just a little less than a month. All right. Well, that'll do it for uh, this episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Be sure to uh, follow and like on your favorite streaming services. Share with your friends. Uh, follow me on Twitter and TikTok at Post by Zach. Uh, until then, until then, have a good week, and I will catch you later.